Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Again, it is good to see all of you, and I'm grateful that you're here. If you're joining us online or the app or the podcast, I want to thank you as well for being a part of this service. And at this time, I would just like to ask everyone, if they could, let's get out our Bibles or open a Bible app and turn to the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. It's the, it's the second book in the New Testament, and I need you to go to chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 1 today. And we're going to go all the way to verse 20 when there's a lot we're going to be looking at. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been just studying different passages in the book of Mark and what we're learning and what we're looking at is how to follow Jesus. And today, I I, I don't know, but I believe it might be the most interesting incident in the life of the Lord that we're going to look at today. If it's not the most interesting, it's got to be one of the top five most interesting incidents in the life of our Lord Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today. What we're looking at today, honestly, is so compelling and it's so riveting. It's strange. It's kind of bizarre. I believe it is the most extreme encounter with the powers of supernatural wickedness found really anywhere in Scripture. And there's going to be some heavy stuff. There's going to be some odd stuff, but it's altogether God glorifying, and I believe we're going to get a lot of good from it. You see um, John in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, he says this. He says this. He says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. All right. That's what he says. That's what he says. So this means the Messiah, the son of God must be able to display power over demons and over Satan, right? If John says that the Messiah appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil, then in order to demonstrate to you and I that he is indeed who he claims to be, then he's going to have to demonstrate that for us, right? And if he does not demonstrate that for us, then we might say maybe he's not the Messiah. But if he does demonstrate that for us in front of our very eyes, then it would give more validity to, it would give weight to that he is exactly who he is. So what we're looking at today indicates, shows us and points to the fact that Jesus is the Christ that he has limitless power over the forces of hell and Satan and demons In the text today, you're going to see beyond a doubt that Jesus has absolute, complete, sovereign power over Satan and demons. And so I just want to jump into it. Like I said, we've got a lot to go through, but this event in the life of Jesus is Mark's proof, some of the proof in the Mark of the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus is who he claims to be. Now, as we're walking 
through this passage, we're going to see three different displays of power. And each one of these displays of power teaches us something and it shows us something. So let's get into it. Chapter 5, verse 1. The first display of power we're going to see is the destructive power of demons. You can take notes in your outline if you want to do that. Let's read verse 1. And we're just going to go through the text. It says this, They came to the other side of the sea. Now that's the Sea of Galilee to the country of the Gerasians, all right? So we're going to talk about this a moment. Um, the question might be, who is the they? It says they came. Well, the they is the apostles and Jesus Christ. That's the they. Right before this event, what had happened was this. Jesus and the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is asleep, I believe, in the stern of the ship. A great storm comes upon the ship. Everybody is afraid. They wake Jesus up and say, Jesus, don't you care what's going on? Jesus gets up. Jesus rebukes the storm. And Jesus says to them, the apostles, have you still no Faith. So that's just happened. Now they're going to the other side of the sea, and we're told the location. They've arrived to, it says, the country of the Gerasians, all right? So that lets us know that they're no longer in Jewish territory. This is Gentile country. In Gentile country, they would not know who Jesus was. They would not be aware of what is going on. They don't really know much about Jesus. They, nothing, nothing, nothing about Jesus. So they arrive Verse 2, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. All right, um, maybe you've heard this story before, maybe some of you have not, but I don't care if you've heard it or if you have not heard it, you read this and you're like, that's strange, right? And that's not an everyday occurrence, all right? So the picture is, it's probably barely dawn and they had been on the lake for a very long time they they get to the this this side of the sea of galilee they they tie their 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 their, their boat up early in the morning and we're told immediately they're met by a man all right so jesus may be stepping off into the land the dry land i don't know immediately it says a man who comes out of the tombs once again you you, you cue in on that that's weird that's odd and then we're told he has an unclean spirit. Once again, that, that's odd, right? Then this is some interesting information we're taking on here right off the bat, right? This is, this is a, a bit strange. You get to the end, you get to the lake, you get to the shore, a guy comes out of the tombs and he has an unclean spirit. All a bit strange, all right? Here's my question. What does it mean to have an unclean spirit? What, what does that mean? That's a good question. An unclean spirit is a demon, it's a, it's a demon, that what is, it is meant. Okay, 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 okay. So a man who has a, a demon, what, well, what, is it, what does that mean? No, seriously, what, is it, what does it mean to have a demon? Now running from the tombs, we're told he has a demon. Well, let me say this, there is some debate among some very godly men and women, what does this mean? Does it mean that this man was indwelt by a demon, or does it mean that he was under the influence of a demon? There, there's the two camps. He was either um, indwelt by a demon or demons, plural, 
or he was under the influence of a demon or demons. I don't know. Verse 15 and verse 18, they have this word translated possessed. It is probably best understood as demonized. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be demonized? Well, it literally means to be under the influence or the power of a demon, okay? But does that mean he's indwelt or does that mean he's under the influence of? Here's what I say. Here's my theological conclusion. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know, man. You can go study and you can go read. There's some great books. Here's where I land. Either way, the man's in bad shape, right? He's in bad shape. I don't care if he's indwelt or he's under the power of. This is extreme. Wrong. That's an extreme, right? That is an extreme. Now, I do want to say this before we move on about this. We're going to talk a little bit more about it, but I want to set this up correctly because I want everyone to understand this. This is an extreme example of possession or demonization or being demonized. This is an extreme example. What, what I want us to know today, I want us to know this, demons do not primarily operate like this, okay? We get caught off guard thinking that's how they primarily operate. They can operate that way. Primarily, that is not how demons operate. Demons generally work in society and in culture and in churches through the promotion of errors, through the promotion of lies and false religion, all right? Demons are primarily more covert, all right? That's primarily, okay? They don't primarily run out of tombs, ah, yelling and all that stuff, all right? When they primarily, now you got to know this because this, this is a, for all of us, we need to know this. If you're watching this, you need to know this. They are primarily trying to get us, the world, and us to think incorrect thoughts about God, to, 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 to have um, theology that reflects a poor example of who Jesus has revealed himself to be. If they can get you to sing untruth about God, they love that just as well. They love deception, right? Primarily, demons try to just nudge you, right? Nudge you. Let me tell you something, the power of a nudge, the power of a nudge. I'm telling you, you can be going straight as an arrow, you get nudged a little bit, you don't think much of it, but I'm telling you, your trajectory will be completely off, right? So we, hey, hey, you sit there, you know, man, I see a guy screaming from the tombs, Ah, that's Satan, whatever. I'm going to stay stay away from him. You come to a church, and you see a man dressed up, preaching some truths about Jesus, but twisting it a little bit, a little nudge, you may be more apt to believe it, all right? That's why you always, always go back to the word, always go back to the word. But that's what's going on here. Okay, we got this guy coming. Let's, let's keep... Demons do not primarily operate this way, but they do operate this way. Verse 3, we get more information. He lived among the tombs. Check this out. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He's got the supernatural strength. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces No one had the strength to subdue him. 
Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. And so he's a, ter- he's a terror. He's a terror to himself, and he's a terror to everyone around him. The local townspeople, they tried to restrain him, but they could not. He's uncontrollable. He's dangerous. At intervals, at night and during the day, you could hear him screaming, howling out loud, right? He would, he would, he would get jagged rocks, and he would kind of gnash himself and cut himself. This poor man was a mass of bleeding lacerations and scabs, infections and scars, living in pain. What misery this man was in. That's the picture, all right? Get to verse 6, the first part of it. And when he, that's the demonized man, saw Jesus from afar. I like that word, afar. It's almost, no, it's not almost. It's letting us know that this demonized man saw Jesus even as he was on the lake in Galilee and he saw him coming and he recognized him. The demon recognized him. You see, see, it's not as though this demon had not ever seen Jesus before. You see, they had met and been face-to-face thousands of years before. You can read about that in Genesis and some other Old Testament scripture. This demon or demons had rebelled against God Almighty, and God Almighty had cast them out. The last time this demon had saw Jesus, it did not go very well for him. In the book of Luke, it says that when this demon saw Jesus, it says, He shrieked. He screams in horror. And then he does an amazing thing. Let's look at the second half of verse 6. Check this out. This is amazing. He ran and fell down before him. That's Jesus. Amen. And that's interesting. He ran to get to Jesus. He did not run to harm Jesus. He ran to do what? To bow down to Jesus. The Greek word you use is proskosno. It means literally to worship. It means literally to demonstrate submission to, to show respect to someone greater than yourself. This dude's running to do that. Think about this. Contrast that to what we just heard. We were just told no one could make this man bow. We were just told no one could restrain him. No one could control him. No one could make this man submit. But in the presence of the Lord Jesus, he's cut to his knees. He he didn't walk to do it. He ran to do it. The man goes down because the demon goes down. He saw, he ran, he fell down before Jesus. Now, by the way, another footnote here. I want you to understand this. Demons have good theology. Demons' theology is biblical theology. Demons could ace any really biblical seminary class. Demons' theology is straight as an error, an error, an arrow. You know what I'm saying? Now, they, they promote liberal crooked theology. They promote heresy, but they themselves have a biblical theology. They know what is true, and they hate what is 
True, but demons have good theology. They just don't promote it. Verse 7, and crying out with a loud voice. So he's, he's screaming here. He's just screaming. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Like I said, straight theology. They know who Jesus is. There may be some in pulpits today who do not know who Jesus is. There may be some who say untruths about Jesus. Demons know who Jesus is. He continues, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Interesting. Once again, I think it's interesting because the demons um, I'm approaching Jesus and asking honestly for mercy. But he asked him a question. This is, this is, I was thinking about that. They ask him a question. He says, the demon says, what have you to do with me? I thought about that. That's an, that's an interesting question. Why would this demon ask Jesus, why, what have you to do with me? The answer goes back to what I've already said. It's because he's got good theology, right? He knows the Bible. He knows that God has a plan to send him to the lake of fire. He knows that Jesus will be the judge. He knows that Jesus has power to bind him. He knows that Jesus can send him to an everlasting hell. He knows all these things. What he missed, what he doesn't understand is the timing. That's what's going on. The demon doesn't understand the timing. Um, he's like, What's, what, what, what are you doing here? Right? Jesus, what are you doing here? Um, Matthew 8, 29 gives us this insight. He says the demon asked, have you come to torment us before the time? Right? So the demon's like, Jesus, it's not time. It's not time. You're going to send us to hell, bind us at the second coming. Jesus, this is the first coming. I don't understand what you're doing here in front of me right now. So the demon's confused. He knows the Bible. He's not for sure why Jesus is there. And so he's asking, Jesus, what's going on here? I don't understand. What are you doing? This is not your second coming. And then he says, do not torment me. You know why? Because he's happy where he's at. That demon, that demon is really happy tormenting people. He is really happy causing destruction. He's really happy where he's at. Jesus, don't take me away from what I'm doing now. So that's where we're at. We see here the first power, the destructive power of demons. Do not be misled. They are destructive. What do they come screaming at you from a tomb? Or they just lie to you, little bitty lies by the movies you watch, the music you listen to, the culture, this culture, this culture, this culture, this culture is always trying to nudge you. What was, what was, what was the Genesis? What was the first question Jesus ever asked? I mean, not Jesus, Satan, Satan. The first question Satan ever asked man was this. Did God really say that? Go back. Did God say that? Our culture still doing that today. Hey, did God really say that? Did God really say that this is purity? Did God really say, I want you in church 
with the belief, did God really say that? And that's anyway, that's the power, destructive power of demons. Now we're going to move on and see the second power, the greater power, the delivering power of Jesus. Verse eight, check this out. For he, that's Jesus, was saying to him, that's the demonized man, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, here's a true story. I once knew a guy who had a cat and asked what his cat name was. His cat's name was, he said, I named my cat Legion, right? Kind of funny, name your cat Legion. This isn't funny. This isn't funny, right? Now, Jesus did not ask this question because Jesus did not know the name. He didn't. Jesus, please understand this. Jesus lacks no knowledge, all right? So why is Jesus asking him this question? Jesus is asking him this question for our benefit. He wants to show us just how extensive this is. See, legion is not a name at all. Legion is a military designation. A Roman legion consisted of 6,000 soldiers, 120 horsemen, a lot of technical support and all of that. This is an image of a great number of people an efficient organization with relentless strength. That is what we are meant to see. See that, this is what's going on here. Verse 10, and he, that's the demonized man, begged him, that is Jesus, look earnestly, do not send them out of the country. Do not send them out of the country. Why? They don't wanna go to the lake of fire. They're not ready for the abyss. Jesus, don't send us there. Don't do it. Don't do it. So they come up with a plan. These demons, they got a plan. And it's interesting, they got a plan. And so they're going to submit the plan for Jesus' consideration. Verse 11. Now a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, that's Jesus, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. That's their plan. And we don't want to go to the abyss. We don't want to go to the the, the, the hell, damnation. Let us go into the pigs. Now, this reminds us that they're in Gentile country, right? Jews don't raise pigs, all right? Here's the question. Some people ask, why do they want to go into the pigs? That's the question. Let me give you the answer. Once again, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't, I've got no insight into, into how demons think. I don't know. My best guess is they want to continue to have the freedom to cause chaos and damage. That's my, I don't know. They want to keep destroying things. I don't know. But look at verse 13. So he, that's Jesus, gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out of, came out, and entered the pigs, check this out, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, that's a lot of pigs, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Once again, guys, I know, you may have heard this before. I don't know, but if you think, this is, cra- this is crazy. This is just a crazy, crazy scene, all of it. From the very beginning to this point right here, this is one crazy scene. Several things to note here. 
First, I want you all to see this. I know you already see it. I want to bring it to your attention. This whole time, Jesus was clearly in charge. The demons had to ask permission even to move. They could not do anything without the consent of Jesus. And I point this out. I point this out because there's some who teach and believe that Satan and God are in a battle. Sometimes Satan wins. Sometimes God wins. My friend, that is absurd. Absolutely absurd. There could be nothing further from the truth. God Almighty has all the power in the world. He got all the power. He lacks no power at all. I saw, I saw on social media one time someone sent me, I don't know, I don't like them. They sent me this, I saw it was this, this picture of Satan arm wrestling Jesus and said, if you want I said, if you want Jesus to win, send this to 10 friends. If you want Satan to win, ignore it. I ignored it, right? Don't work that way. Ain't no, ain't nothing, ain't no, there ain't nothing slowing down the hand of God, period. God is all powerful. Nothing, 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 nothing slows the hand of God almighty, all right? You can rest easier tonight. Second, notice the destruction of these pigs and the demons came about really fast. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't tell us why this happened. I don't know. But it does demonstrate. It absolutely demonstrates Jesus' ability to redeem. It demonstrates Jesus' power to deliver and rescue and his power over Satan and demons, right? I also think it shows us the nature of demons once again, right? So, so they go into the pigs, and what happens to the pigs? They become violent, they become chaotic, they become self-destructive. All three things that were true of the man when they were demonizing the man, they go into the pigs, and all that becomes true of the pigs. They become what he was. All right. Now, I want to share something with you. I don't, I'm not going to go deep into this stuff, but um, I hope it's helpful. In my life, I have seen some strange spiritual demonic stuff, right? I have been around some strange demonic stuff. I've seen it. I've been around it. Um, good people, godly people have told me, informed me, tried to educate me, tried to help me to know what to do when I am around maybe a manifestation of a demonic spirit, whatever. There's books. You can read them. Many of them take on all sorts of different advice that they give. Um, and I'm not saying this is bad advice. I'm not getting into that, okay? But one of the things they would say, people would advocate, is for the Christian to start telling the demon what to do, right? Um, I'm gonna bind you, demon. Demon, I want you to go here in the name of Jesus and all of this stuff. Like, and, and, and I'm not saying this bad, but they'll say like, if you say these words in this order and do it this way, then the demon will have to do what you tell him to do, right? You can go study that if you want to. I'm just gonna tell you from my, 
my practical, this is just for me, my practical experience. I don't talk to demons, man. I don't. I only address Jesus, man. That's, I just address Jesus, okay? And um, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story, one story that I had when I encountered a demon, all right? Um, by the way, this is not sensational. This is not something to be afraid of. This is just life, and there's a spiritual world out there. Um, so my wife and my family, we were in Africa for nine years, um, I came here to be a pastor at Silverdale and there was a transitional period there. And during this transitional period, we were living in a mission house. It's at the end of the parking lot here. There's this little, little mission house. Okay. We're there. I got my son and we're in the mission house. Um, one night my wife and I were, were sleeping in the bed. It's still over there. I'm sure. And I woke up and I had an irrational Fear. I was aware that there was a presence that should not be in the room. Now, once again, I'd been around that. I, I know what I was feeling. I know what it was. There was something evil, something not right in that room, right? Then I felt a, something fall on, attack my chest right here. I felt it. It was heavy. Here's the two things that I remember, and I want you to take this home with you. One, he had infinite more power than me. Like, I, I had no power. Second thing you need to know is this. He hated me with a hatred I had never felt before. Satan hates you. He hates people. He hates God who indwells you. Hatred, hatred, hatred. Don't play with that stuff, man, ever. Don't play with it. I did not rebuke the demon. I did not tell the demon what to do. I said one thing, Jesus disappeared. I talked to Jesus. Every day I asked Jesus to protect me from the evil one. It's in the Lord's prayer and I pray it. I pray it. Next day I got up and I went and saw Pastor Chuck Tanner. I told him what had happened once again. Please do not make this dramatic. Please do not make this sensationalized. This is just, Nate, the, 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 this is business. This is, this is the spirit. This is what goes on. There's no need to make it a big deal and all this, right? I said to him, what happened? He goes, all right. We go back to my house. We pray over the house. I never had that encounter again, all right? The spiritual world is real. It exists. Sometimes it might manifest in that manner. Once again, I want to go back to the primary way. The primary way he's working on everyone here today and everyone listening or watching today is he's trying to nudge you. He's trying to get you to believe things about God that are not true. But let's keep going. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. They're going everywhere. They go, to, they, go, they go to the country. They go to the cities. They're going everywhere. And people came to see what it was that had happened. Now, they're in the Gentile area. Remember, they don't know Jesus, haven't heard about Jesus. So they're coming, verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon, demonized man, the one who had the legion. Look at him. He's sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. It's odd. And those who had, who had seen it described it to them, what had happened 
to the demonized, the demon-possessed man, and to the pigs. They get there, and they're told. They see him. He's in his right mind, and they're like, oh, they see him. They're told, and it says they were afraid. They're afraid. That's an odd reaction, right? That's an odd reaction. The, the Greek word there is phobeo. It means literally they were terrified. They're scared out of their minds. The question might very well be, why are they phobeo? Why are they terrified? It's obvious. They're frightened of Jesus. Why might they be frightened of Jesus? Because they know he's holy. And they know they are not. And this is not uncommon. I call it the trauma of coming into holiness. And it's found all throughout scripture. When people come into the presence of God, this is the reaction. I have a few examples here in the book of Judges. A man named Manoah comes in the presence of God. He goes home, he tells his wife, we're going to die. He tells her, we're going to die. She says, why? He says, because I saw the Lord and I saw him. He saw me. I saw holiness. He saw sin and we're dead. Ezekiel, same thing. He sees the holiness of God. He goes into a coma. Isaiah sees the holiness of God and he yells out, cursed is me, right? I am a man with dirty lips. He's like, I say dirty things. I speak dirty words, and the holy God knows that. Go to the New Testament. John, the apostle in Revelation, his first vision of the glorified Christ, he falls over as dead. He is terrified. My buddy Abraham, a Muslim man, he first heard the gospel. Next time I saw him, you know what he did? He ran. Grown man running in terrified fear of Jesus. He repented and believed later God saved him and did great things. Another story. <laughs> Same thing I felt when a man told me, and by God's grace through God the Spirit, I realized I was dirty and God was holy and I repented and believed. I believe it's something that every Christian feels in some degree when they're convicted of their sin. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening here to these Gentiles, the supernatural. They see holiness. They are not holy, and they are terrified. Instead of repenting and believing, what do they do? Jesus, would you please leave? Don't act too surprised because have we not all done that in one way or another? I praise God he keeps pursuing. And that leads us to the third power, the damning power of sin. Look at verses 17 through 20. Most of us would like to believe that if people saw that, that there would be revival, right? You'd see something this amazing, this something this amazing, that there would be Conviction of sin, repentance of sin, and there would be a revival and a church would be built right there. But that's not what happened. Verse 17, like I've already said, look what they say. And they began to beg, beg, oh Jesus, 
Jesus, please, please leave. Look, Jesus, depart from their region, right? It's interesting. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture does it say they were upset about the pigs dying. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that they were joyous that a man had been redeemed. No, they just say, Jesus, 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 please leave. Their sin-hardened souls wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They were more afraid of God in their presence than they were when Satan was in their presence. They were more comfortable with Satan than they were with God. They're more comfortable with sin than holiness. Is that not the nature of depravity, of sin, and that's one of the reasons the world, that's one of, the, one of the reasons the world hates Christians. Verse 18, here's Jesus' response. And he was getting into the boat. Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to leave. Jesus has another plan, though. Don't you think Jesus is leaving? He got another plan. We'll see his plan in a minute. Right now he's like, I'm going to leave. Keep going. The man who had been possessed, demonized, with demons, once again, begging. There's a lot of begging of Jesus going on here. Begged him that he might be with him, right? This guy's like, man, I do not want to live another day without you, Jesus. Jesus, where you go, I want to go. Jesus, where you step, I want to step. Jesus, what you do, I want to do. Verse 19, another surprise comes our ways. And he, that's Jesus, did not permit him. And Jesus says, no. Christian, know this. Jesus does not always say yes, all right? But said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. See, Jesus, Jesus leaving, well, he's sending a missionary, right? That didn't even get another plan, got another plan, got another plan. He's like, okay, you guys want me to leave? I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna send a missionary to you. Verse 20. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. They marveled. They marveled. Surprise. Well, hey, I will tell you, it is a surprising response that Jesus would say no, but like I said, Jesus has a greater view than me. Jesus has a greater understanding than me. Praise God for that. And Jesus says, you know, I got a different plan. I want you to go to the Decapolis. What is, what is that? What is that? That's 10 cities. 10 cities. They were pagan. They did not know Jesus, loved Jesus. They did not have scripture. They did not have the Old Testament. In fact, you can read, you can read historical accounts of these 10 cities. You know, they would worship anything that moved. They were pagan. They were, they, they, they just crazy stuff went down there. And Jesus is saying, I love those men, those women, those children so much. I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you. And by the way, you may not know this, but that demonized man is the first preacher Jesus sends out. He's the first one. He's a Gentile. He sends him before he sends the apostles. He sends them before he sends the 70. He sends them, him, before he gives us the great commission this is the first person Jesus sends out. He's a Gentile. And by the way, he had a really messed up past, right? 
Like, no, seriously, please hear me. Some of you are sitting there saying, thinking, I can't go out, I can't do this because I got a messed up past. How many of you guys been naked up in a tomb cutting yourself? I don't think any of you. Praise God, if he saved you from that, praise God. Well, I don't care how where you've been, Jesus said, I saved you, I'm gonna send you. Yeah, well, I haven't been trained. This guy had not been trained. There's no training. He just had instructions. No training, just instructions. Go home, tell your friends about Jesus. It's a good reminder. How much training do we need? How much training do you need to go talk to your friends? You've been doing it your whole life. Anybody ever trained you? No. Now just go tell them about Jesus, all right? And he obeys. He obeys. I'm not going to get into it all. You can look in later parts of the gospel. Jesus returns to the Decapolis. And people come out to meet him because they know him. And people always wondered, well, how they know him? They know him because this man was a good missionary. And that ends when the most interesting incidents in the life of Jesus points to him. Three powers we see today. You see the destructive power of demons. They are real. real. You see the delivering power of Jesus. He is all-powerful. And you see the damning power of sin. Today, before we leave, and if you're watching or listening, I am going to give all of you an assignment. I want all of you to know very clearly when you leave today, you have an assignment. Here is your assignment. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part, so please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.